particular passage. So hear now God's word. I'm reading from Luke chapter 1, verse 39. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her for about three months and returned to her home. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, this is your word. We do pray that you would help us to receive it with meekness and with rejoicing. We pray that you would remind us of our humble estate and how you have condescended to be with us, that we might be with you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Across many different school playgrounds or even backyard, backyard gatherings with friends, there are three words that tend to excite a feeling of fear among many young people. And those three words are, let's pick teams. Anytime you're playing some kind of game with friends, some kind of sport, uh, it seems to be our, our tendency as people to want to pick our teams of who's going to be on our side so that we can be sure to win the game. And what ends up being the case is line everybody up and it seems to be like a draft to assess our individual value of who is worthy to be on a team and who is not. And what, what invariably seems to be the case is the captains are picked and beginning as the, as the draft begins, the captains always gravitate towards the athletic ones or the popular ones or the, the strong ones. And as the draft continues, there's just a few kids left who are pleading with the captains, please pick me, be, help me to be on your team. And uh, this is uh, just something that we tend to do because we as people, we gravitate, we give value to the, the, the mighty, the strong the intelligent, the attractive, the popular. But our God uses a different metric. The sovereign God over the universe, the glorious and mighty God, the one who is effulgent in his beauty and brightness, holiness, all wit-wise, 
all-powerful. He seems to have, he clearly demonstrates in Scripture a particular heart towards the weak and the helpless. He's not impressed by the powerful, by the mighty. He had pays particular attention to the poor and the sick and the outcast and the afflicted and the sojourner and the childless and the orphan and the widow. In fact, Jesus said, blessed is the poor in spirit or the humble for they, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And shortly after, he said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And as we study this Christmas story, as we remember this Christmas story, it is, it is a story of the immaculate love of our God. That he would send his one and only son to take on human flesh so that he could be named Jesus, meaning he will save his people from their sins. Jesus didn't come to save all people. He came to save his people from their sins. And there is a, a defining characteristic of the people of God, and that is one of humility and weakness. Scripture says clearly, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God's people are a people that are humble, that, are, that recognize that we are sheep in need of a shepherd. That we are servants submitting to a king. That we are helpless and needing deliverance. But what's startling about the Christmas story is that God did not just send his son to save his people, but to enter into their weakness, to become like them in their weakness, to be clothed with the weakness of human flesh, not, in, not coming in pomp or glory or riches or strength, but in weakness, in humility as a servant. And we can see that even from this very introductory story of the woman Mary. So what we need to see today is that Christ came to save the humble. So we must humble ourselves before him. Now the story of Mary is marked by this message of humility. We'll briefly look at this story from three different aspects. There's the, the humble position that Mary is in, the humble posture that she takes, which results in a humble praise of her God. So first, she is a woman, a young woman of humble position. From what we can tell, Mary was a young teenage girl, probably from the age of 12 to 14 years of age. So to put that in perspective, that's a young girl about the age of Catherine or Riley or Christy um, here at Zion Presbyterian Church. She's an ordinary woman that sa it says that she is from the region of Galilee, a, a, a city named Nazareth. 
Nazareth was uh, not along any major roadways, so it was in the middle of nowhere, and as a result, it was a poor town. This was not a town that had anything to speak of it, and we see a glimpse of that a little bit later in one of the Gospels when Nathaniel says, that when he realized, hears that Jesus is from Nazareth, he says, Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So Nazareth in and of itself denoted poverty in the middle of nowhere. So, so Mary has no significant stature. She's not wealthy or prominent. She's just a simple, ordinary, poor, young virgin girl. But just because you're poor doesn't mean that you're humble. Poverty doesn't necessitate humility any more than wealth necessarily brings pride and arrogance. But with Mary, we do see both this poverty and this humility. She has a humble posture. And Luke paints a picture that demonstrates that in three different ways. The first is that she has a humble curiosity. Now, we saw this a little bit in the passage that Elder Dave Bell just read. When the angel appeared to her, uh, the, Luke, uh, at the beginning of chapter 1, puts these two stories side by side of, this, of the angel Gabriel appearing. First to Zechariah and then to Mary. To Zechariah, he was telling him that they would have a son, John. Zechariah is a priest. And then he comes to the young Mary and he says that you will be pregnant with the Lord Jesus Christ. But the, the side-by-side gives us an indication of the humility of Mary. Both Zechariah and Mary ask questions to the angel, which sound similar but are very different. Zechariah hears this message and he says, well, how will I know this since I'm an old man? It's a reasonable question. Mary says, well, how can this be since I have never been with a man? They sound similar, but they're different. Zechariah is asking, well, how can I know this? How do I know that this is true? And the angel responds, well, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was given this message to give to you. In other words, you know that this is true because this is God's word. And Zechariah was made mute for a time because he did not believe. But Mary, on the other hand, she says, well, how can this be, since I have never been with a man? It's a question that is humble in curiosity. She accepts it. She believes it is true, even though she doesn't know exactly how it's going to work out. She has this humble curiosity. But secondly, she has a humble acceptance of the Lord's will. She asks her question, the angel answers, and she says in verse 38, she says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She accepts the message as true. She accepts the circumstances. Let it be to me according to your word. So she has a humble acceptance. But thirdly, she has a humble recognition of her position. She's not only in a humble position, but she accepts, she recognizes the humility that she is in. In verse 48, 
in the midst of her song, this Magnificat, the song of praise, she says that the Lord has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. He has looked on my humble estate. She recognizes her humble estate that she deserves nothing. And yet God in his grace has taken notice of her. So she recognizes who she is. She recognizes what God has done. And this results in humble praise for her God. She says, verse 46, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Now, kids, you've probably used a magnifying glass. Magnifying glass, we use it to see things that are very small. It makes the things that are small bigger so that we can see them. And here Mary says that her soul magnifies the Lord. Now, we can't make God appear bigger than he really is. That's impossible. But we are called to make great his name, to, make, uh, to try to declare his greatness and to uh, elevate his knowledge throughout the world. And that's, uh, that's what this means here when she says, I, my soul magnifies. She's trying to make great, declare great who God is. And that's an important part of worship is magnifying God for who he is and what he has done. And it's hard for us. We don't have good vocabulary. <laughs> we, we look to Scripture to teach us how to praise God for his greatness, for his works. But the other side of it, another side is, she says, I magnify the Lord, but my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Worship isn't just declaring God's goodness and his greatness, but it's also taking delight in it, rejoicing in it, because this is our God. This is the one who has saved us and loves us. So that uh, rejoicing and finding joy. And Mary demonstrates this type of worship. She magnifies the Lord for who he is and what he has done. She says... For he who is mighty has done great things, and holy is his name. She is declaring that this God is mighty and holy. He has shown strength. He is strong. And then she talks about what he has done. And specifically notice that what she describes is this role reversal. She, he has, with his might, he has elevated the humble, and he has humbled the mighty. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate, filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Our God has done these things. And Mary sees this in what God has done for her because she recognizes that she will now be the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ, that God has, in his wisdom and kindness to her, has chosen this humble young girl. She sees God's program of 
humbling the mighty and exalting the lowly. And that is the content of her praise. Beloved, we need to recognize that this is the environment that God chose to send his son into. He chose this woman, this humble woman, to be the mother of his son. Not a woman of wealth, but a woman of poverty. Not a woman of royalty, but a servant. And and actually, it's very remarkable that God even chose to have Jesus be born at all. Scripture calls Jesus the second Adam, the one who would represent his people in righteousness. But unlike the first Adam, who was just created immediately by God out of the dust of the ground, God chose to send the second Adam into this environment to be born of this young woman. Uh, God, in his wisdom, chose to have the Lord Jesus Christ raised, not simply in humble circumstances, but with a mother who was poor of spirit and recognized the greatness of who this God was and the grace and kindness that she had been shown in him. And if you think about the impact that mothers have on their children, this is an astounding choice of our God. That his son would be trained under a mother that was humble. Philippians chapter 2 says that the Lord Jesus Christ uh, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but humbled himself, taking on the form of a servant. But what we need to see is that when he did so, it was comprehensive in nature. He didn't just appear like a servant. He was born into poverty. He was trained by a mother who was humble. He, uh, it, this was a comprehensive and true and fully humble servant. That's what our God did in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this was his intent because God's intent was to save the humble, to rescue the humble. He came to save the poor and the widow and the sojourner and the needy. And the Lord Jesus Christ came to seek humble worshipers who would worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And beloved, he came for ordinary people like you and me. But beloved, that's why we must, we must pursue humility as the disposition of our heart before our God. It is a distinctive characteristic of the children of God as was exhibited in the very Son of God being born of Mary. In fact, every, every aspect of our relationship with God is really a choice between pride and humility, if you think about it. Um, our hearts tend toward pride, finding something in us 
that is good. But we must pursue this humility. Pride rips us away from fellowship with our God. But humility draws us closer in intimate dependence on our God. In our pride, we want to make a name for ourselves. We want to be remembered. We want to be thought well of. But in humility, we recognize that our lives are a mist, that we are fading flowers, and that we have been created to make his name great and glorious. And so we use all of our energy in this passing life to glorify his name. In pride, we want to be wise in our own eyes. We want to be thought of as wise. We want people to ask us for our wisdom. But in humility, we recognize that our wisdom is foolishness compared to the wisdom of God, that he reveals to us his wisdom, and that we must submit our wisdom to his and filter everything through his truth and align our thinking with his, because our ways are not his ways. In our pride, we want to be financially independent so that we can be in control of our future, so that we can feel successful. But in humility, we can pray, Lord, give me neither poverty nor riches, lest I steal or lest I forget you. Let me be dependent upon you to provide every good thing. In pride, we want to magnify our accomplishments or our goodness, but in humility, we recognize that we bring nothing to the table that God has not already given to us. That apart from him, we have no good thing. It, we could sum it up by saying, in pride, we want our sufficiency in ourselves or in something from us. But in humility, we recognize that our sufficiency is in God's goodness, in Jesus Christ, and that we must draw near to him in delightful dependence. But beloved, the good news, the good news is that Jesus Christ came into humble circumstances to save the humble. And that's good news because God's word says that that describes you and me. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the apostle Paul says this. He says, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. And beloved, I've sat in almost all of your membership interviews and in leadership training, and I've heard how the Lord has called you to himself. And to my knowledge, not, not one of us was wise according to worldly standards. Not one of us was of noble birth. Not one, not one of us was powerful. But God came to us in our simple, ordinary, humble lives to rescue us for himself. And that's where he entered, to give you faith and repentance and knowledge of himself. And beloved, that is how 
our God works. And because God has pursued you in your humble situation, we, we must give our lives. We must respond by making his name great. The Apostle Paul continued in that passage in 1 Corinthians 1. He says, For God chose what is foolish to shame the wise. God chose what is weak to shame the strong. He chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God lavishes his grace upon the weak and the lowly so that we would praise and magnify and rejoice in his holy love for us who are completely undeserving. And Mary recognized that that's what God was doing as he approached her with his sovereign love. It was an ultimate reversal that was beginning, and that ultimate reversal of God's grace took full form when the Son of God became a servant. He humbled himself from his exalted estate to take the form of a servant so that in him he could exalt us into his presence forever and ever. That is the God that we serve that is the God who loves you and has pursued after you. And that is God's design. And his design is to show grace to the humble, but also that we would grow in that humility. That means that we need to recognize that God didn't show, choose to reveal his love to us because we brought anything to the table that he would pick us for himself. It's simply because of his sovereign unmerited love. His, he loves to lavish his grace upon those who don't deserve it. And when we receive it, our response ought to be to bow in worship. And if you consider the, the characters throughout Scripture and their humble responses to the Lord's grace to them, it's astounding. Moses, David, Jeremiah, their response was, Who am I, Lord? Who am I? The Apostle Paul, Prophet Isaiah, they said, Who is worthy? Who is worthy of these things? And Mary, she had that humble acceptance. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And beloved, when God shows his grace, he blesses us. And there is a real danger when God begins to bless us. It's not in the blessing itself. It's in our hearts. Because we can forget. We can forget our humble estate. We can begin to take credit for the blessing that we have received. There's a proverb that says, The Lord makes rich and he adds no trouble to it. That's true that the Lord adds no trouble to it, but there is, there is trouble that comes with riches. Whether we're talking about financial riches or the riches of wisdom or the riches of friends or the riches of biblical understanding, when the Lord blesses us, all of a sudden our hearts are so prone to take credit and to become prideful 
and to lean towards self-sufficiency. And as that proverb I referenced sooner or earlier said, our hearts get to the point where it says, lest I become full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? The Lord can bless us and our hearts can go astray. That's why we have to be diligent to constantly pursue humility so that whether we have plenty or want or that we need understanding or we have understanding or whether we feel lonely or popular or we sense God's work in our lives or we are desperately in need of God's transforming grace to bring change. We have to realize that we are mortal creatures in need of God's sustaining grace and to give him thanks when he does do those things. And so, in response, by way of application, I would ask you to assess the state of your heart with respect to humility. And I'll give you some different ways to evaluate it. The first is, do you, have you ever recognized your need for salvation? If you have never put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, you need to understand that that is, the Lord Jesus Christ is the only one that can save you. Your hard work and your intelligence and your diligence or your accomplishments, none of that makes you worthy to be in God's presence for all eternity. None of God is not impressed by those things. Apart from Christ, you have no good thing. Um, good people don't make it into heaven. Perfect people make it into heaven. And you will never be perfect on your own strength. It is only by the perfect work of the Lord Jesus Christ on your behalf that you will be found right. So we need the humility to accept that we are imperfect and to accept the gift that the Lord has given to us. But for those of us who have sensed that need and have put our faith in Christ, do you still see your need for salvation in Jesus Christ? God blesses us, but have you forgotten? Have you forgotten? God blesses us in lots of different ways and it's easy to be distracted by that. But beloved, nothing can compare with the, the blessing of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, and the God who saves us in him. I guess another way of asking this is, piggybacking off of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians, is where is your boast? Where is your heart excitement? It's not a question if you will boast. It is a question where is your boast? Is your boast in your intelligence or your accomplishment, or your heart for service, or your financial riches, or your family. Those are good things. Those are blessings from the Lord. But Scripture teaches us to boast in different ways. The Apostle Paul teaches us to boast in our weaknesses, the things that show, a, show how needy we are, not in the things that show how great we are. And coupled with that, he tells us to boast in the Lord who loves us and enters into our weakness. 
And that's what he said to Jeremiah. He said, let him who boasts, boast that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord that practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness on the earth. And, And this is important because the thing we boast in is the thing that we're going to worship. If we boast in our finances, we will be given to a love of money. And if we boast in our intelligence, we will cultivate intellectual arrogance. But if our boast is in the Lord, then we will worship him with our hearts. So let me ask you, is it difficult for you to truly worship the Lord? Obviously, we should be commended for gathering out of obedience to worship our God. But is it a chore or is it out of joy and love? If it, if it is a struggle for you to gather, to truly worship from your heart, let me suggest to you that perhaps you have lost sight of your weakness and your need and the greatness of the gift that you have received in our God. Uh, it's easy for us to drift into a spirit of thanklessness. We just celebrated Thanksgiving, and that's a helpful reminder that we ought to be thankful. But we, as believers, we ought to be thankful all the time. Rejoice always. But it's so easy for us to forget the, the gift that we have received so that we begin to complain about what we don't have or we treat as plain the greatness of the gift that we have received. And the medicine for this, beloved, is to pursue humility. It's to pursue, to boast in our weakness, to remember from where the Lord drew us, and to magnify and rejoice in his holy name. Um, It's holding where we were with what the Lord has given to us in thankful praise. It's remembering our sinfulness, but then rejoicing in Christ's sacrifice to pay for that sin. It's remembering our ignorance, but then rejoicing in the work of the Holy Spirit to give us understanding in the beauty of our God. It's remembering the stubbornness of our pride and then rejoicing in God's work to work in us that which is pleasing in his sight, to live lives that are pleasing to him. And above all, beloved, it's to remember the infinite, eternal Son of God taking on human flesh like you and me so that we might be brought into his presence, clothed with his perfection and eternal blessing. And beloved, remembering these things ought to drive us to bow in humble worship with whole hearts for a God who loves us like this. Beloved, Mary said, he who is mighty has done great things for me, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. And beloved, he who is mighty has done great things for you. He's done great things for you. He has looked on your humble, ordinary estate. He has pursued after you 
and he is calling you to worship him. He sent his son to rescue you so that you could delight in him forever and ever. So let us humble ourselves before him. Let us rejoice in him forever and ever and magnify his glorious name. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you do pursue after us. We thank you that you have done it even though we have done nothing to deserve it. We pray that you would help us to worship you as you deserve. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.